We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have like a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. As he takes everybody on. From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast sponsored by Blue Wire and BetOnline.ag. This is the July 3rd episode, and we, as always, are dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I am your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rant. Folks, today we keep our incredible list of premier fantasy football analysts rolling with Mike Taglier of Fantasy Pros. He is the lead NFL writer and analyst there and the co-host of the Fantasy Pros football podcast, a top six ranker twice in the annual accuracy contest, the creator of the weekly primer, which is insanely good and a weekly staple of the fantasy season. And he is always interacting on social media, helping all of you win those fantasy matchups. One of the top go-to follows for me and everyone on Twitter at Mike Taglier NFL. 
Mike, it's always great to have you on the mailbag. Welcome back again, and thanks for joining us. No, of course. It's always happy to be, I'm always happy to be on the show, man. I just I love doing these things in the offseason. It just has a little bit more time. We can kind of sit around and talk about maybe even some non-football things. Who knows? Absolutely, especially now. I mean, we're dying for content, whether it's uh, sports, football, or otherwise. But we'll get right to it, and we'll start with our FFPC stat attack of the show. I want to look at the Ravens passing game because so much of what Baltimore does is focused on that rushing attack. The efficiency for Marquise Brown was off the charts last year in his rookie season, despite dealing with that ankle sprain. This offseason, he had one of the screws removed from his foot. Brown only had a 59% snap share last year, 71 targets, which was 59th among wide receivers, 46 in receptions, which was 54th among wide receivers, but he was 13th in red zone receptions, and he was 13th in total wide receiver touchdowns. Mikey's 5'9", 166, that's undersized, but do you see him taking a leap forward here as the Ravens wide receiver one? He's up almost 17 spots now in FFPC best ball ADP over the past two weeks. What do you think about Marquise Brown? I mean, I like Marquise Brown an awful lot, and you know, I I don't know if that love is going to go over the top because there's a lot of guys in the industry who are anticipating a big breakout. There's some who are worried about volume, and and rightfully so. I was a big Marquise Brown fan out out of college, and I still was not touching him last year he was more of like a guy that you can get in dynasty drafts like rookie drafts late in the first round uh maybe even early second round in some of them because he had off season that it was liz frank surgery if i'm not mistaken yep. Yep. The surgery on his foot and i believe that contributed to a lot of the issues that he had throughout the season now i know he started out the year really well but i think he came back it's almost like every single time i see a wide receiver deal with uh, some sort of foot surgery in the offseason. I've gone through and done research on this. I never published it, but I I went through and looked. And basically, when they have foot surgery that same calendar year, players just aren't the same. They require almost a full year, like a full offseason, in order to get through that injury. So Marquise Brown, I didn't expect much from him in his rookie season. And obviously, knowing Lamar Jackson threw the ball as, as little as he did, it's kind of shocking to see Marquise Brown produce the way he did when he was actually on the field. Uh, he reminded me of Deshaun Jackson coming out of college. And I know a lot of people use that very loosely because Deshaun Jackson is, in my opinion, a hall of fame wide receiver. I think he's, he's been more than a deep threat over his career, uh, not built to withstand hits over the middle of the field. You know, like he played the slot early in his career, Marquise Brown. The biggest thing that could hold him back is this offense in terms of the pass attempts, because I don't know if anyone rightfully can, can anticipate, maybe more than 480, 490 pass attempts. And when you have that few pass attempts, it's like an A.J. Brown syndrome where it's going to be very difficult for a receiver to break 100, 110 targets. And if you're not getting that many, you need those big plays. You need those touchdowns. Marquise Brown is not going to be a red zone guy, but at the same time, he is someone that is the clear-cut number one. I anticipate him getting double the targets of any other wide receiver uh, in this offense. So I currently have him down for about an 18%, 19% target share, which is going to wind up around 90 targets, which means he's going to be – a boom or a bust wide receiver three most weeks because you know you put him in your lineup and you're going to deal with those lows in order to get those those breakout weeks. And if Lamar Jackson doesn't run as much like they're talking about, like they want to throw the ball a little bit more, I do think this helps Marquise Brown. So, uh, and it's and, and even going into, into those mobile quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, these are guys that don't check down nearly as much. Uh, what they do is they scramble in the pocket, they keep their eyes down the field, and that helps someone like Marquise Brown. And it's why he did so well at Oklahoma with Kyler Murray. So. I like Marquise Brown. It just depends on where his cost is going to be. Yeah, another receiver that I really like a lot that I think is going under the radar here in Baltimore is Miles Boykin. Now, listen, I know they're not going to throw a lot, 
but this is a shallow depth chart. After Marquise Brown, who can be, like you said, feast or famine, Miles Boykin, if you look on Player Profiler, 4.42 speed at 6'4", 220, great catch radius, played at Notre Dame, third round pick. Uh, maybe he's a best ball pick, Mike, because he's not going to have the consistency because of the volume. But I think Miles Boykin is a guy who can take a huge step forward here. People almost forgot about him because I feel like it's it's almost as soon as, as Marquise Brown last year had that big game against Miami in, in week one. It's almost like that's what everyone remembers. And, and I think Boykin as a wide receiver, too, on that team is someone you can take a flyer on very late. And maybe he can get enough production for a best ball or, or even a, a plug and play wide receiver three this year. That's my concern, though, is that I don't know if this team can support three different options, like, you know, in terms of pass catchers, because you have Mark Andrews, who's being drafted as the number three, number four tight end, depending on where you're at. Uh, You have Marquise Brown, who I think everyone concedes that he's the number one in this offense. He may not be a 120 target guy, but he's the number one. So then it's like, is there room for three actual fantasy relevant options? And my answer is probably no. And I say that because like looking at Miles Boykin last year, he didn't have a game with more than three targets. Keep in mind, his only competition was Willie Sneed and Seth Roberts. Like yeah, that's yeah. if he couldn't get on the field past those guys. I ha- I'm a little concerned. Uh, now, granted, he, he I thought he could be a player in the NFL uh, playing at Notre Dame. Notre Dame, obviously, you're not going to pop off the charts and you know set rookie or NCAA records or anything. Uh, but now going to this offense, that's you know similar in a way. You're not going to break a lot of records with the Ravens throwing the ball less than 500 times. So I just don't think there's going to be enough targets to go around for someone like Miles Boykin to be relevant. And, and on top of that, he's now going to be battling with Devin Duvernay and Willie Sneed is still on the team. So I don't know. It, it's really tough to see him producing outside of, like you said, like a best ball format. That's our FFPC stat attack of the show. Remember, FFPC folks home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry. Dynasty Best Ball, and of course, the world-famous FFPC main event. To learn more or to join a league, head to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. And of course, we have a ton of tools here at Rotoviz designed specifically for FFPC domination. I'm in Best Ball Drafts right now as we speak. I have the Best Ball Command Center open. Mike Beers did a great job here at Rotoviz, so certainly check that out as well. Mike, I talked to Rich Rebar last week about what to do with that late first-round pick. It feels like in redraft... You get an early pick, you wipe your brow, you know you're probably going one of the big four RBs in almost all formats, CMC, Saquon, Zeke, Kamara, but the late first round pick gets dicey. A lot of debate on social media. I heard you on the Fantasy Pros podcast there, fantastic job with Bobby Sylvester and Kylie Gates, talk about some of these first late first round running backs. One of the most polarizing RBs in that area, I think, is Josh Jacobs. Solid rookie season, 15th in PPR fantasy points per game, but limited in the passing game. Is Jacobs worth a late first-round pick if you're in that area drafting in seasonal leagues, in your eyes? Uh, talent-wise, sure. He's, he's, he's a good football player. Uh, you know, he, the, the sad part is, is that I thought receiving, in terms of what he brought into his pass catching in the backfield, I thought that was one of his best attributes coming into the NFL. Uh, but knowing that the Raiders didn't use it, I know he's not. Uh, and I'm going to say that because this is not an offense that you're going to see take the leap in a top 12 scoring territory. It's just not. Uh, they still have Gruden there. They still have Greg Olson there as the offensive coordinator. Uh, they brought back Jalen Richard. They, they could have let him walk in free agency, but instead they re-signed him. Uh, everything remains status quo with the, with the coaching staff. The quarterback's the same. Marcus Mariota, if he takes over, I don't think the offense is going to pass as much. So it's like you start saying, where are these targets going to come from? And you're like, well, DeAndre Washington and his 40 targets went away. But then you look at it and you're saying, you drafted Lynn Bowden 
the second round. Uh, you took Henry Ruggs in the first round, which we don't even want. I don't even want to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> and then and then Brian Edwards. So it's like you have these receiving. Like all of a sudden, the receivers around him got better. They didn't they didn't lose Jalen Richard, who's probably the best pass catcher on that team. The guy that's who's been in the offense for a few years now. I, I don't see where it changes. I know they talked about wanting Josh Jacobs to be involved in more in the passing game, and really, they didn't. It was Mike Mayock who did, who really has nothing to do with the play calling at this time. He's just their GM. So I like Josh Jacobs, the talent, but it comes down to the offense. And basically, to finish as like a top six running back in fantasy football, what you are gonna, what you need to do, uh, I do studies on this based on how much does team scoring matter for fantasy football, and it matters a lot. Uh, basically, if you're not on a top 18 scoring team, you're not going to finish as a top six fantasy running back. Uh, it's very rare. I think it's happened like once or twice over the last seven years. Uh, so... Josh Jacobs being on the Raiders is a detriment to his fantasy out- outlook. And if you're drafting him at the end of the first round, you're basically saying, okay, this is a ceiling because you know he's not going to get into that top six territory. Uh, and I, I, um, as a, if I'm not mistaken, the current order, you have the top, you have the big five uh, with Dalvin Cook included in that. And then yep. you have Derrick Henry and Joe Mixon being yes. at six and seven. Mm-hmm. So if you're taking Jacobs at eight, you really have no room for equity. Uh, so I don't like drafting players at their ceiling. Uh, I would rather take a shot on someone like Kenyon Drake, who is a three down back who was treated as such in the offense who is going who playing in the same exact offense the one that we already know he succeeded in the one that is going to probably run more plays in 2020 because they their defense has improved a little bit uh there's just so many reasons to like Kenyon Drake it's it's I don't know I, I, I've still yet to meet someone and to talk to me out of this to say that Kenyon Drake should not be taken over Josh Jacobs and according to early ADP it's it's almost a full round difference between these two, and it kind of makes no sense to me. Kenyon Drake is a he's a guy that I actually consider in the Joe Mixon and, and Derrick Henry tier. I'm going to tell you the reason, Mike. It's the pizzazz reason. It's that people see Kenyon Drake, who was sort of back and forth at Miami, didn't do much, then flashed, and they're worried about the small sample size coming over. That's it, because I agree with you. In that offense, with those weapons, with everything that's projected, and his ability to run and catch, Kenyon Drake is a first-round fantasy pick, but you have to get over the, the part of saying, I'm picking Kenyon Drake with my first overall pick. I really think that's it. It could be. It could be a mental thing. There are there are certain players that definitely do that to people, and he could be one of them. But keep in mind, he has under 500 uh, career carries on his belt. He's been extremely efficient when he does touch the ball. And it's funny because people are talking about David Johnson like he died, and he kind of looked dead at the end of the year. But at the same time, if you were to go through the Cardinals and just take their starting running back from every game, David Johnson started, uh, it was six of them. Uh, Chase Edmonds started two of them, and then you had Kenyon Drake start eight of them. If you... I'm not talking about everybody on the depth chart. Just take the running back, the starting running back performances from each week, and you had the number three fantasy running back that would have been like one point behind the number two running back, Aaron Jones. So um, even Kenyon Drake, he was the number three running back once he joined uh, the Cardinals. So I'm not worried about that. I mean, the offense is going to take a step forward. DeAndre Hopkins, it's not like defensive coordinators can come into a matchup against the Cardinals and say, all right, guys, Kenyon Drake, he's our biggest issue right now. We have to figure out a way to stop him. He's not. Um, but he is an extremely efficient football player that's going to get over 300 touches. So I, I, I don't know. What there's <laughs> there's nothing not to love about Kenyon Drake this year. Yes, that's very true. And, and that's the key area. If you're in that late first round, don't feel bad for yourself that you didn't get a top four pick. You have to make the right picks. And if you do, you can come away with two solid players, wide receiver, running back, or even two running backs. Mike, I have a question here from Duffy in Atlanta. There's always a backup QB that becomes fantasy relevant over the second half of the season. 
key sites. Of course, Tannehill last year, 2018 Ravens did go six and one with Lamar Jackson as a starter. 2017, we had Case Keenum in Minnesota. So he's asking, which backup QB do you have your eye on here as a waiver wire pickup, obviously, that you say, you know what, he could step in, take over and put up some pretty relevant fantasy weeks? This has to be more of a dynasty thing, I think, than anything, um, because like, I mean, if you're if you're looking for quarterbacks like this, you're basically streaming quarterbacks. And I'm not going to grab one and play him every single week. Ryan Tannehill was very rare, uh, an exception in terms of what he offered on a weekly basis. And nobody ever wanted to play him either. Like nobody was comfortable putting Ryan Tannehill in their lineup every week. I did. I played him a lot in DFS, too. But um, in terms of this year, it's really difficult to say because you look at the guys that are on uh, shaky territory and you say Derek Carr could lose his job to Marcus Mariota. So I guess that that would be the guy that I'd probably say is Marcus Mariota, even though I don't like him as a quarterback, but he offers some mobility. There is some weapons there now in, in Oakland they ha- or in Las Vegas. They have a decent offensive line. Uh, then you look over to the Bear- a team like the Bears and say, OK, I, everybody's assuming that Nick Foles is going to start a quarterback. Yep. I'm not completely sold on that i i'm from chicago and i know that uh ryan pace his job might be attached to mitch trubisky so i think that they want trubisky to actually win the job Foles may have been just like a signing that are giving him a chance to win that job and think about it if you were really set on benching mitch trubisky they probably would have went after tom brady if they felt like they could win right now but they didn't they felt they probably could have gone after someone like cam newton but they didn't i think that they wanted to bring in someone that trubisky can compete with and if you look at Foles's career outside of uh, philadelphia he hasn't been particularly good so Trubisky I don't even he might I want to say him because he's shown that he could be a fantasy relevant quarterback you know when he actually does run the football so people view him as a career and backup now so I guess I'll say Trubisky yeah that's fair I you know and I, I worry about Drew Locke over in Denver Mike I you know, we only saw winning quarterbacks, right? He certainly did win. And I'm not saying Jeff Driscoll is going to knock the house on fire. But what I'm saying is if someone was in a two QB league or needed someone late in the season, he'll be available in waiver wires and we'll get to Denver. But they're loaded with weapons, right? So, I mean, if Drew Locke stumbles, Jeff Driscoll could be serviceable, right? We know what's funny is Jeff Driscoll actually scored more fantasy points per game than Jameis Winston and Ryan Tannehill this year. And Josh Allen. Oh, it's, my it's cra- I, I noticed that the other day when I was I, I don't remember what I was going through, but I was uh, I came across that little tidbit and I was like, I know it's a very, very it's like a three game sample size. But still, it was uh, it's pretty funny that you brought up his name. I think I started Jeff Driscoll when Detroit played at Washington. He did not have a great game that game. I remember. That was like the one game that he had <laughs> like that was bad that everybody wanted to play him. So true. Absolutely. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all the UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. If you're looking for something else other than sports, BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Please visit betonline.ag and Use the promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. What's up, listeners? This is Curtis Patrick. I just wanted to stop by and say thank you for supporting Rotoviz Radio. You are the absolute best audience in the business, and I know it. As a special thank you, I'm offering 10% off your next Rotoviz subscription. Just use code 2020RVRADIO at checkout. That's right. Go to rotoviz.com, click subscribe, and enter code 2020RVRADIO at checkout for 10% off. You can even extend your subscription. Oh, and one more thing. 
If you haven't ever done it, please rate and review the podcast you're listening to right now on Apple Podcasts. It's really easy. It only takes like 10, 15 seconds. Just do it. We'd love to hear your feedback. Now, back to the show. Well, we got July 4th coming up here, my friend, on the weekend. I'm curious, hamburger, chicken burger, hot dog, what goes on the grill? And of course, this could be a family question, hot dog, are we ketchup, mustard, or both? Okay, so <laughs> it would be a hamburger and a hot dog, both of them from that, those choices. However, um, we've evolved as a family and we're doing pulled pork. Uh, for um, but as for a hot dog with ketchup or mustard, I just got done saying I'm from Chicago. And if you go, it's almost like um, asking for water at a bar. You don't ask for you don't ask for ketchup <laughs> on a hot dog. Um, you know, like if you go, there's a, there's a famous place here called Gene and Jude's and, uh, their hot dogs there are phenomenal. But if you ask for, for ketchup there, they just laugh. They say they, we don't, they don't have any. Uh, so, so you don't put ketchup on a hot dog, just mustard. Oh, pulled pork is the way to go. That's a great call. Yes. I, I, especially from Chicago, I wouldn't even get into pizza, Mike. I don't want to start a fight here. Well, so please, I'm, I'm over I, I don't want to get hungry. I mean, I'm on this intermittent fasting thing where I can't eat until two o'clock and it's like talking about food is just making me hungry. Well, we have to keep it light, so we have to talk about Rob Gronkowski next. And now you do projections every year. What drives me crazy, Mike, is when people are out there saying, listen, this player is going to have a great, great season, but they don't follow it up with how that's going to affect the other players on the team. So, for example, a lot of people like Rob Gronkowski. They like the fit in the Tampa Bay offense. He's healthy now. He took some time off. And they're talking about him top eight, maybe top six tight end because of the touchdown volume potential. But Chris Godwin's there. Mike Evans is there. OJ Howard certainly still very efficient tight end, even though he hasn't been used in terms of pass, you know, attempts as much as, as maybe we think he should be. And Tampa Bay last year rushed for 15 touchdowns with the running backs in 2019. And so I'm curious, where do you project Rob Gronkowski in this offense? And how do you feel about Evans and Godwin with a 43-year-old Tom Brady, future Hall of Famer, greatest quarterback ever, but still up there in age? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot to dissect there. And Rob Gronkowski, I think what people are forgetting is that he wasn't particularly great the last time he was on the field. Um, go back to his his last year in New England, uh, 2018. He finished with one fewer target than Vance McDonald, and he also finished with one fewer fantasy point than Vance McDonald. So Vance McDonald, would you be excited if he were going to play as a starting tight end with Tom Brady? I don't think so. Good point. Uh, and this is no disrespect to Gronk. Like this, this dude is like the best tight end of all time. When you add it, especially when you add in all the the blocking that he does, he's actually a three, like a full three down tight end. He's not Jimmy Graham where he can't block. Rob Gronkowski. That's why I consider him the greatest of all time. But you're right. Um, you, you if you want to project a player and you want to say he's going to break out, like for instance, a lot of people like Deontay Johnson this year. So it's like, all right, if you think that he's going to break out, are we going to start taking away targets from Juju? Correct. Uh, yes. And that's possible in the Steelers' offense. But in this offense, Tom Brady's not going to drop back and throw the ball 630 sometimes like Jameis Winston did. That's just not going to happen at 43 years old. So you dial it back. I have Brady right around 600 pass attempts, and that I think that's a fair number. I think it's it, it could be a little conservative, but at the same time, this defense should take a slight step forward i don't think brady wants to get into shootouts with drew Brees. i don't think that should happen um the saints have a better defense too you look at the falcons you don't want to get into shootouts this is a team that should be treating tom brady tom brady like he is right now he's a game manager uh he, he averaged what was it 6.8 6.9 yards per attempt last year so dialing it back to 600 you start divvying up these targets and you say okay chris godwin's an ascending talent he matches with brady extremely well i did this uh exercise with uh, on, on the fantasy pros podcast and i said I, I told him, I was like, close your eyes and, and think for a second. When you close your eyes, 
What do you imagine with Tom Brady when he drops back to pass? Who do you see him throwing to? Where do you see him throwing? I don't really care. And, and you know, everybody comes back and says, is it weird that I saw, saw him throwing a Scotty Miller over the middle of the field? <laughs> and I said, no, it, it's not weird at all. But that's basically how I envision it. And then if you look at Jameis, if you do the same exact exercise with someone like Jameis Winston, you see him chucking the ball 40 yards down the field. Now, the, the demise of Brady's deep ball has been a bit over-exaggerated. I dove into that this offseason. Uh, but at the same time, he is 43. He's not going to be throwing the ball down the field every single play. So I think Chris Godwin is going to be fine. Uh, again, he's an ascending talent. He could play all over the field. Mike Evans is someone that might struggle a little bit because his average depth of target has is typically been way down the field. Jameis Winston's not af- afraid to throw the ball into double coverage because he believes that Mike Evans is going to go up and get it. Whereas Tom Brady, he doesn't take chances at this point in his career. He doesn't like to turn the ball over. That's why you see his interception number so low. Uh, that's why Nikhil Harry was never going to make sense for the Patriots last year. None of it made sense. Uh, but so diet, going through it all, you're right. Rob Gronkowski is being a little bit overvalued. And it's just because, he, again, he's a guy that's aged. He wasn't great when he was last in the field. He took a year off football. He's in a new offense. They do have O.J. Howard. I have him as a low-end tight end one uh i am as like I, I think he came in at like tight end 12 in my projections and that's not even factoring in the fact that this guy almost always misses games so yeah I, basically i'm streaming tight end at that point i would not select rob gronkowski over someone like hayden hurst who is my favorite target uh in fantasy drafts right now oh for tight ends. yes that's a great call especially stepping in there uh, you know down in atlanta i'm curious follow-up question here mike I'm a Ronald Jones guy. I wouldn't say Mm -hmm. truther to a certain extent, but I have a feeling he's going to get the first shot. No more Peyton Barber. I think he will get the goal line touches. Keyshawn Vaughn, I understand. Explosive guy, can run, can catch. I understand that. But I think that Jones will get the first crack. And to your point, they're not going to want to get in shootouts against New Orleans, against Atlanta. I know the ups and downs with Ronald Jones, but I have a feeling he could be that sort of later round running back that could step up and have a top 12 season. I I, I think there's a path for that, and that's in his range of outcomes. What do you think? There absolutely is a path to it, and that's why I said the the team scoring at what it matters and all that, um, it actually – comes into factor here because you you have to believe that this offense is going to score points. It's just going to happen. It's just a matter of how, right? And Ronald Jones, I don't know why people are saying that Keyshawn Vaughn is like all of a sudden, like once he was drafted, before he was drafted, no one was talking about Keyshawn Vaughn as someone that was a a top five running back in his class. Everybody had him in that that second or third tier of running backs that was like, okay, he's a fine player. not going to, you know, he's he's nothing over the top. That's how I felt when watching him. And then he gets drafted by the Bucs and everybody's like, oh, no, no, no. And they're looking for a reason to dethrone Ronald Jones because of how he upset them last year. And it's almost like going back to the Kenyon Drake thing where if someone screws you over as a fantasy over, you don't want to draft him again. And that's where Ronald Jones is at right now because he was splitting carries with Peyton Barber. Uh, Bruce Arians did not trust him fully. But now Peyton Barber is gone, okay? And I want people to remember this. David Johnson was drafted in a third round by the Arizona Cardinals with Bruce Arians as the head coach, okay? David Johnson was one of the most efficient running backs in the league his rookie season. How many touches he got? 161 touches. Yep. So therefore, and that's David freaking Johnson. Yep. Okay. So they, and I think it was Andre Ellington who was getting yes. a lot of touches yes. that year. Yeah. So are, are you, you mean to tell me that we didn't, we could all tell that David Johnson was better, but Bruce Arians did not want to trust the young running back. I feel like that's the case with Keyshawn Vaughn. And the only thing that could hurt Jones is if he starts fumbling, uh, if he, um, if he doesn't pass protect well, but <clears throat> pass protecting is overrated for running backs. Like I'm not kidding. 
So when you look at the the thousands of snaps a team's a team plays, on on average, an offense it's usually around 950 to you know 1100 snaps we'll say, <clears throat> and running backs during that time like there was one running back I think in the NFL last year that pass blocked on more than like 80 something snaps. So it's a very you're talking about like less than 10 percent of the time is what they're doing. So. They beefed up that offensive line a little bit. If they're going to be running two tight end sets, they're not going to be keeping Ronald Jones in a block very much. So I'm with you on Ronald Jones. I believe that he's an extreme value right now. And I do know that he passed up Keyshawn Vaughn in ADP, rightfully so. Uh, I know the experts are are anti this. I'm against the experts in this one. Uh, but Ronald Jones is, my, is the guy that I do believe starts with this job. And does he lose it? Potentially. Right. But he looked really good down the end of the uh, – towards the end of last season and this up uh, this offensive line did get upgraded over the offseason so again i do like ronald jones and think that he's one of the steals if you're going to take that late running back approach yes and I, I looked at the games in which he got the majority of touches was the starter and and was not injured he actually projects for over 30 receptions last year in those games brady is not going to hold the ball very long he's not going to drop back a lot and hang around in the back of the pocket so for all your reasons i'm, I'm with you on that one you know fade that they got to you fade that you may have been burned by him and be objective. Let's switch over to Brady's old team, the Patriots. Of course, big signing this week with Cam Newton, one-year deal laden with incentives. What does this do for the fantasy values of the Patriots' offensive players? Sony Michelle, I think, has a very tenuous hold on the backfield. You have James White, Damian Harris, Rex Burkhead, and of course, the wide receivers, Edelman, Nikhil Harry. What do you see from this Patriots offense, and did Cam just inject fantasy life into New England? I've seen a lot of people saying that, and I <clears throat> I really don't get it. I mean, Cam Newton, did, do you know how many times Cam Newton has thrown for more than 24 touchdowns? Gosh, is it once? Once. Yeah. That's ex- <laughs> exactly what it was. There was. That was that great passing year that he had, and it was like, you know, it was almost like a Michael Vick type thing where you look at these quarterbacks and you say, if, if this guy can throw like legit lights out, like you're not going to stop him. You cannot stop him. And it's like Lamar Jackson last year, right? Like Lamar Jackson, obviously – Maybe the most mobile quarterback of all time. I think we could probably say that after watching him run for over a thousand yards last year. But and then the on top of it is when he starts completing those passes and he starts getting that crazy high touchdown rate through the air. Then what do you do? You can't. You're basically just hoping that weird things happen because you can't stop it. Cam Newton is now 31 years old. Um, I don't think people are just expecting him to get better. Uh, it is now July 1st. Cam Newton, I don't think he has practiced with the, with his, uh, his the other players in the team at all. So we're talking about, you know, in a couple months from now, he's going to be taking the field and ex- we're expecting this Cam Newton that's thrown for 24, more than 24 touchdowns once in his career to all of a sudden inject life into guys like Nikhil Harry, into guys like Julian Edelman, uh, Mohamed Sanu. No, 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 he doesn't. I really, he doesn't. The, the one player that I will say that he does give me more intrigue about is Nikhil Harry. And the reason is because it was when I was talking about Brady, Nikhil Harry does not gain separation. It was one of the reasons I didn't like him out of college. And I said that I, I understand why you want to draft him because he's a physically imposing wide receiver. He's great in contested catch situations, but I prefer my wide receivers to separate. It's why Calvin Ridley was my number one receiver. Like, it's why that I love Jerry Judy, and he was the guy that I wanted uh, teams to draft number one. The Raiders should have drafted Jerry Judy number one or you know number eleven, whatever. But um, Nikhil Harry is a contested catch receiver, and Cam Newton has shown over the course of his career he's not afraid to throw an interception. He's not a th- afraid to throw it up to his big guys. You know, you go back to Devin Funchess, who finishes a top twenty-four receiver before Kelvin Benjamin. Kelvin <laughs> Benjamin, yeah, uh, multiple seasons as a top twenty-four guy. So I do like Harry. Uh, I do think this team starts running the ball a lot more. As for Sony Michelle, 
I don't think he has a, a, a like a, a stronghold on this job anymore. I think that these surgeries have added up. He doesn't look like the running back that he was in college. He looks terrible, as a matter of fact. Damian Harris is a guy that people want to know, well, since Sony sucked last year, why didn't they just go to Damian Harris? Damian Harris, the reason is because he was considered their obviously their backup running back. He did not play special teams. And if, if you don't play special teams, you're not going to be active on game day for Bill Belichick. So therefore, Damian Harris this year, I do anticipate him moving into more of a timeshare role with Sony Michelle. Like this is not a backfield you want to to draft. Sony Michelle, he's clearly shown that he's not going to get it done continuously or consistently. Damian Harris, even if he does get a playing sh- a shot to play right away, it's going to be more of a timeshare with Sony Michelle. James White is going to hurt a lot. Uh, I already didn't like James White, even if it was going to be Jared Stidham. Uh, but I'm moving him even further down with Cam Newton. He's not a guy that ch- continually checks down. Uh, those swing passes that James White got from Tom Brady were one of the – it was a thing of beauty. Uh, those two had it worked out quite a bit. So, I mean, I'm just – I'm fading the entire Patriots offense, and I'm okay with that. And if I'm wrong, that's fine. But traditionally, it's been an offense that's been a little hard to predict because Bill Belichick will change his game plan every single week. Um, I guess I could say Julian Edelman has been a guy that I've been getting in some best ball leagues because people are just refusing to draft him at all, which I'm like – I mean, if I have a guy that's going to get over 100 targets, you know, maybe 120, it's – there's value there is like a wide receiver. Like he was being going off the board, I think right around the wide receiver 36 mark. And it's just rare to find someone that's targeted that much in that area. But yeah, overall I will say that Sony Michelle downgrades cause he could lose some goal line carries James white downgrades because like the accuracy in terms of what he's going to receive in the passing game goes down. Uh, Edelman, Maybe not as many checkdowns, so it could hurt him a little bit. Nikhil Harry would be the one that I would say benefits a little bit, but I, I'm not going to pretend it's a whole lot. Yeah, maybe overvalued there with with the impact on Cam Newton. We have to see it's a very different team here with Belichick than he's had, of course, during all these the great seasons. And the, real quick, the one stat I had on Cam Newton, like, so I looked up quarterbacks because we obviously know mobility goes down as they get older. Um, I looked up any quarterback that's been 31 years of age or older. There's only been three running back or three quarterbacks who have rushed for over 500 yards. And I think 532 was the tops. And none of those quarterbacks uh, ran for more than four touchdowns. So therefore, uh, the rushing totals that Cam used to have, don't pretend that this is that because Cam Newton's gone through multiple surgeries. He needs to think about his not just career, his life, like quality of life going forward. So uh, Cam Newton, he's just not the same quarterback he used to be. And that's okay. It's okay. And then, of course, you know, with not having the practice time that you want to have with a new team, being a 31-year-old quarterback who may have to change your style, that also is going to be another variable they're going to have to deal with. Email here from Anthony in Colorado. He wants to know how you factor in injuries when drafting in seasonal leagues. So specifically, someone like Debo Samuel. He looked to be the clear-cut number one out there in San Francisco. No Sanders anymore. He could start the year in the PUP. So the question is, do you avoid these players altogether? Or do you say, you know what, their ADP is dropping so far. Maybe I'll use them with a later round pick and just stash them. Because when they come back, I could have great value. Yeah, this is uh, this has been a lesson learned for me. And um, I'm not afraid to admit it that we we make mistakes right um but at, uh, starting with Debo Samuel he, he is someone that I would look to avoid right now and the reason I said that is just going back to that whole uh, you know Marquise Brown thing that we talked about earlier in the show he had foot surgery he broke his foot um that's that's terrible uh, and not only in this offseason but in any offseason where it, in the same calendar year if they had surgery so even if a receiver let's say he he had surgery back in February it's still the same calendar year and it has seemingly affected a lot of wide receivers that try and come back uh, knowing that his took place in June, 
I mean, that's bad. It's really bad. So, yes, I'm looking to avoid Debo Samuel this year. He is going to fall down draft boards, and it's going to be tempting. But, again, this comes back to where a lesson learned, right? Uh, A.J. Green is someone last year that I had a, yep. in a lot of places because I said, you know, people are panicking a lot. And I understood why they were panicking. But at the same time, it was like we were hearing from doctors that he started running and he should be back by week three or four. And I'm like, I'll take the discount on the wide receiver one. Uh, he's a guy that is basically whenever he's on the field, he's a top 15 wide receiver. So I was like, you know, I'll wait it out. And in some auctions, I couldn't believe where I got him. And I said, you know what? This is great. You know, and what he does is handcuff you. Uh, and I say that because you can't put him on IR because they're not on an IR spot. And the most important weeks in waiver wires are, are the first couple weeks. And the reason I say that is because depth charts have shaken up that we don't know. There's there's changes that we don't know. Maybe may a running back like Philip Lindsay in Denver a couple years ago. Um, there's things that change and you have to adapt. You have to pick up those players. You have to take that chance in weeks one and two. You have to grab those players. DJ Chark, for example, from last year. Terry McLaurin. These are guys that you're not going to be able to grab if you're holding someone on your roster, um, you know, like an A.J. Green last year, waiting till he comes back. And then the worst case scenario is that they never comes back. You know, he doesn't push himself. Uh, so it's a valuable lesson I learned. But when it comes to injured players, you're best off avoiding them unless legitimately you understand you need to cut them if they don't if they don't get on the field as soon as they were supposed to. But Debo Samuel, obviously, volume was always a concern with him. Uh, in San Francisco and in adding Brandon Ayuk to that offense um, is going to take away a, a little bit of the target share. And Debo Samuel was kind of like A.J. Brown in the fact that these guys averaged, I think both of them were over eight yards after the catch, which is going to, le- it will legitimately be cut in half um, moving forward because that's not a number that's just sustainable. So uh, yeah, Debo Samuel has moved outside my top 35 wide receivers, but in terms of where I draft him, it would be even later than that. Let's go to Seattle. This DK Metcalf versus Tyler Lockett debate is starting to rival like Pepsi versus Coke. Very strong opinions on both sides. The Lockett people say he's been there. He has a connection with Russell Wilson. He's going to be continue to be the wide receiver one. The DK Metcalf people cite his big playability, his athleticism, and the fact that he looks like more like a true alpha. Where do you stand this year, DK versus Lockett? I mean... DK Metcalf is a dude like I, I I remember last year trying to defend him and tell people that, you know, don't write off DK Metcalf um, just because he, he's a little bit raw. Uh, it, it was all about where he landed. And when he went at the end of the second round of the Seahawks, I said, you guys are idiots like everybody in the league. You guys are idiots for pairing this guy with Russell Wilson. And that is going to make the biggest difference. Like go back to the beginning of like after the draft last year and you go into the offseason in the preseason games. DK, many people forget DK hurt his knee. Um, not only was DK considered a raw receiver that, that couldn't bend his knees, he couldn't get through the three cone drill. Remember that? And yep. then he got hurt. He had to have a knee scope. He, they, they didn't think he was going to be ready for week one. Well, he was ready for week one. And DK Metcalf came in and he produced, uh, I think he had nine games over 60 yards. There were only, I think uh, he was 10th in the NFL among wide receivers in that stat. So, Despite being raw as hell, despite coming off that knee surgery uh, right before the season, all those things playing in, despite the fact that the Seahawks threw the ball like minimal times, DK Metcalf still proved to be a, a, a fantasy asset. Okay, Tyler Lockett, when you talk about these two, it's almost like you want to say that Tyler Lockett's the safer one, but I'm not really convinced that he is the safer one because Tyler Lockett's not a guy that's going to see 130 targets. That's just not who he is. He's never going to be a target hog. You're going to see games here and there where he might get into the double digits, but I think 
Tyler Lockett is someone that's going to wind up right around that 110 target mark, and that's fine. The reason I think that people want to go with DK, and I have zero issue with it, I think Lockett is a safer projection because you don't have to work. You don't have to wonder do they have an increase in pass attempts. You know Lockett's going to get his, but anything on top. DK can be like he has legitimate top five wide receiver upside because you're talking about if Lockett's capped at 110 and you start to see this offense throw more, which is very possible because the Seattle Seahawks defense is worse than it's ever been. Like I look at this depth chart and I'm like, wow. So they signed Quinton Dunbar in the offseason to take the uh, to start opposite Shaquille Griffin at quarterback. And Dunbar was he, he went to jail like he's not going to play. He's going to be suspended. They have a rookie starting a linebacker in Jordan Brooks. They're they're losing Jadavian Clowney most likely. Michael Kendricks, Ezekiel Anza, Quinton Jefferson, Al Woods. Their their front seven has been decimated. We so the Seahawks defense is going to be worse than it's been in a long time. And if you start projecting Russell Wilson into the mid 500 pass attempts, all of a sudden you could start to find 120 targets for DK Metcalf. And if you get DK with 120 targets from Russell Wilson. This is a guy that legitimately can he can post 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns. It can happen. So I have zero issue with people want to take DK Metcalf over Tyler Lockett. I, I have Lockett ranked higher right now, but I I it's one of those things where if you've seen someone do it, I'd say, oh, I get it. I really do. I mean, you're shooting for the ceiling here. And again, it's hard to say that Lockett, who has been touchdown reliant in his fantasy numbers, it is safer but at the same time, every single year we say the same thing about Seahawks wide receivers, right? We're like, well, Doug Baldwin, you know, he's kept at this many targets and de- and Lockett and he's touchdown reliant. Both of them have been. But yeah. Russell Wilson is the common denominator here. And again, when you put someone as physically imposing as DK Metcalf and a guy that could win contested catch situations where, you know, Russell Wilson's throwing two in a pinch. Yeah, DK is a buy in dynasty for me. If you could find someone that's valuing him as like, you know, the 20th wide receiver or whatever, I you go out and you buy him right now. I I honestly I might say I'd take DK Metcalf over DJ Moore in dynasty. And I know that that's considered a very wow. very very hot take, but it's all about who they're tied to. And DK Metcalf being tied to Russell Wilson versus DJ Moore being tied to uh Teddy Bridgewater for the next 3 years, I think I might take DK. Yeah, that's fair. 120 targets for a guy who's 6'3", 228, and runs a 4'3", 340. That's going to translate to fantasy points. And maybe, Mike, this is what we needed. We needed Seattle to have a bad defense yes. for finally the staff to unlock Russell Wilson and not just wait until week 10 and let him start throwing three, four, five touchdown weeks late in the year, which is what he seems to do. Absolutely. And this yeah. is a major, major weapon for him. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah, if Russell Wilson were to throw the ball 600 times, I think people would actually be discussing him as the greatest quarterback of all time. One of them. Um, Russell Wilson is so damn good. Like, he... He's so good. I mean, I don't even know how else to put it, uh, but he's been undervalued by, I think, a lot of people just because he's not asked to to throw the ball 600 times like guys like Patrick Mahomes might be. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers was in the past, but Russell Wilson, one of the greats for sure. Yep, absolutely. And listen, Sidney Rice was relevant back there in 2012 with Seattle. So yeah. we, we could we could find a way to get DK to have a big, big season. Mike, I'm curious. Middle school, tough time for kids. I was reminiscing with my friends about the great highlights of middle school, what we actually liked. We were talking about field day at the end of the year where you had a competition against your other classes. So I'm curious, what's your favorite memory here about your middle school years? Oof, middle school. Um, I would say it would probably be when I made the basketball team because I played baseball my whole life. Like I was a big baseball guy and I played through high school, but um, 
basketball was the sport I enjoyed a lot. I just wasn't the greatest at it. Uh, but I remember making the basketball team and there was a lot of kids that tried out in my town and I'd made the team. And then that, 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 that great memory that I remember making the team, seeing my name on that list meant everything. Right. And then, yep. <laughs> so it was a, it was a town that literally I had just moved there in middle school. So it was, it was tough, you know, in terms of politics and all that stuff, how it's involved. Yeah. But all of a sudden, literally two days later, I was told that I, I wasn't on the team anymore because apparently there were a couple moms that called and complained about their kids not making the team. No. And they, they thought it would be easier this way. And I didn't, no. it, it, it sucked. I didn't really put up much of a fight about it because I knew it wasn't like I was going to get a ton of playing time, but it was a proud moment for me. I mean, that, that story just rips at me here. I remember that. I did make the team as a freshman myself. I had the headgear and glasses and, you know, getting your name on that team is actually a big, big deal. I agree. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I was meant to play basketball because I worked my butt off in between like middle school and high school. And literally I went to the summer camp, um, for, for a high school team. Cause I was like, I need to meet the coach. I need to like show that I'm working at it. And, uh, <laughs> the first day of this camp, dude, I, I kid you not. I went up, I went up for a layup and I came down and there must've been a slippery spot on the floor. Feet came right off from underneath and my chin came, landed right on the court and I had to go get stitches in my bottom of my chin. And Ugh. it was kind of like the end of summer camp there. And I said, it, that was the last time I think I, I, I played basketball trying to make a team or whatever, because I just, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm apparently not meant to do this. Well, we're going to change that story, Mike. We're going to say you took a charge at the end of the game that caused your team there to win. Go. And that's how you get the stitches. Yeah, exactly. Next question here from a zero RB zealot. He said he likes to zig when everyone zags. He knows people are saying zero RB is dead this year, but he still wants to try it. He feels as long as you can find running backs that have high volume, high projected touch volume, he thinks it's doable and wants to know our thoughts on two clear RBs that aren't getting a ton of respect on social media, David Montgomery and David Johnson. Where do you stand on both of those players who are available after those first few rounds? So I put up a a tweet saying that uh, David Montgomery is a virtual lock for 240 carries. I said there have been 125 running backs who have hit that mark over the last 10 years. I said, guess how many of them finished worse than the RB25, which is where he's being drafted. The answer was none. None wow. had finished worse than the RB25. And again, I understand some people are like, well, he might finish as the RB25. I'm like, again, you're drafting him at his floor, which is fine. If you're going the zero running back approach, that's what you want, right? And if we were to go back and and it's it's so funny how small – like like how quick people move on, like their memories just forget about things. David Montgomery in the preseason was like a darling. Everybody said, oh, why are, why are they starting Mike Davis? Put David Montgomery in there. He's so good. And then he had like this incredible run in the preseason that people were like, see, that's why David Johnson should be playing. That's why people in Chicago are excited. They're also forget about that Matt Nagy was actually a pretty good play caller uh, in 2018 for the Bears. 2019, it was horrendous. And I could tell you, if, if, if his coaching tenure was based on 2019 alone, he would be in the Adam Gase of coaches. It was pathetic. Yep. But it, mm-hmm. it's, it's just weird to go from 2018 where things were creative. He made them work and where he did. It's almost like he tried to get too cute and it just it turned out bad. But Dave Montgomery has room for growth. And again, there's no competition on that roster. Tariq Cohen is never going to get more than like eight to ten carries per game. That's not who he is. I don't really I like Tariq Cohen as a running back. I think he's very undervalued in fantasy football. He's another one of those guys that you can do uh, as like a zero running back strategy. Uh, but Dave Montgomery is fantastic. He's again, he's a lock for 240 carries as long as he stays healthy. The Bears invested a third round pick in him like him. Uh, Ronald Jones is another one uh, for the zero running back strategy. We already talked about him. And then David Johnson. I don't I don't think so. Um, I understand the volume, 
but he's actually moving up. I think he's right around the RB 19 RB 21. He's getting up there. Yes. Yeah. And so the reason I don't like David Johnson as much is because, well, one, he's going to cost you a round or two more expensive than David Montgomery. But David Johnson has not been an in-between-the-tackles runner. I don't know if people realize this. He can break tackles, yes, but he's not a guy that you you want running through the tackles. And he's been a receiver. That's that's his biggest strength. So if you look at Houston and you say, all right, their offensive line, how's that? It's not great. It, it's it's They've gotten better. Um, obviously, after trading for Tunsil, that helped their pass protection, but it's not great. Um, so if he averages 4.8, one yards per carry. I consider that an accomplishment for David Johnson behind that line. Uh, and then you go and say, all right, well, what about the passing game? Because that's where the value comes from. Well, I, I talked about earlier, Deshaun Watson is a mobile quarterback. He's someone that breaks the pocket often. He moves around. He keeps his eyes down the field. He does not check down immediately. He's not a Tom Brady. He's not a Peyton Manning. He's not a Drew Brees. These guys that will check down if they don't see what they like. Deshaun Watson is going to buy time to try and find something that he likes. David Johnson is going to suffer because of that. If you look at the running backs that have played uh, for Houston, you know, ever since Deshaun Watson's taken over, they haven't. Che- he hasn't checked down. Now, granted, losing to uh, DeAndre Hopkins is going to matter and it's going to change some things, sure. But they brought in Brandon Cooks, who's going to start eat, eat up some of those. Uh, Will Fuller, if he stays healthy, Randall Cobb's going to be playing in the slot. So that's like that that shorter option in the middle of the field. Duke yep. Johnson is still on the team that this team traded. I think it was a third round pick for he got 62 targets last year. He's still there. Um, and obviously we haven't even talked about the back issues that made him look like a grandpa last year. Um, I root for David Johnson. He sees, he seems like a really good guy, but it, at the end of last season, I don't know if he felt pressured to come back or whatever, but he did not look good. Um, you know, th- there's, you could watch any film you want from the end of the year and watch David Johnson and say, okay, he's not the same running back. I don't want to write him off yet, but at the same time, there's a lot of risk built in with him. And to be honest with you, I think Duke Johnson might be the better running back at this stage of their career. And that's why Duke Johnson could be a guy that you want to take a late round shot on. But yeah, I'd prefer David Montgomery at his cost rather than David Johnson at his. Yeah, we certainly saw that video that went on Twitter against Tampa Bay in week 10 of David Johnson doing the sweep, mic that took about a half hour. People who take David Johnson are believing in those first six games. I use the Road of His Game Splits app. If you look at those first six games, David Johnson last year, 20.2 fantasy points per game versus the the last six that he played, 3.7. So that's what you're banking on. But you're right. It's a different situation. Deshaun Watson's not going to dump the ball off. He's not a great between the tackles grinder. So you're banking on goal line touches and receptions. That's the key. And that's a risk, I think, with his ADP going higher. Yep. Yep. And he hasn't averaged more than 3.7 yards per carry since 2016. So again, those he's not going to get it done on the ground. So you need the passing down work. And again, you're taking a leap of faith, if you will, um, to get that passing down work. And I'd be shocked if he had more than like that's those 62 targets that Duke Johnson had last year. And I don't even think he gets there because that's essentially wiping Duke Johnson out of the equation. Mike, did you add a skill during the quarantine, cooking a meal, cleaning something? Have you somehow been able to increase your knowledge in a certain area, your ability due to this quarantine? Give us some positive mojo here. Um, patience. I, I think, <laughs> I, I think that's the best word I could use. And I say that because I have a three year old son that is an absolute lunatic. Um, and I love him, the little dude, but having him here all the time, that's, that's something, man. Like, I don't know if people realize how much efficiency goes down when you have a little one at home Yes, uh, yes. all the time. And my wife, she's working from home too. So it's just like, there's 
so much like going back and forth and trying to figure out scheduling and all that. But uh, so I'd say patience is what I learned. I also learned how to gain weight when I'm not supposed to, because as you know, during the season, like running the primer and all that, um, it takes up a lot of time. And I, I, I basically skip my health throughout the season. So I say, yep. you know what, I'll deal with it for four or five months where I don't get to the gym. Um, and this is the time of the off season where I usually lose all my weight. I'm in great shape at the start of the season. And then the season happens and I gain like 10, 15 pounds. Um, but well, the gym closed. <laughs> right. Um, I, I like to call it COVID 19 pounds. So, nice. uh, Nice. I, don't, I don't think I got quite there, but close. Yep, I understand. But my five-year-old son, he wants to play basketball downstairs You in the, using the laundry basket. There's been some <laughs> blocks. There's been some cuts and scrapes on both ends. You know, the efficiency goes down wow. and also the pain can go up here because I'm not taking charges uh, like your story did, right? Your fabled <laughs> story. A little tough to do downstairs. Yep. Handicapping the rookie RBs, I think, is one of the most critical skills for a successful fantasy season. So we have a ton of backfields with rookies joining the depth chart. And I'm curious, which one do you think is the better ADP value right now. So I'm going to get your thoughts on this. I'm going to use FFPC best ball ADP, of course, so you can translate it there for redraft. We'll start with an easy one. I know we're in agreement on this. Jonathan Taylor at RB19 or Marlon Mack at RB35 there with the Colts? Uh, Jonathan Taylor. He's the starting yeah. running back. It's it's really not a debate. <laughs> yeah, I think Taylor, with that offensive line, he's a guy who could absolutely sneak into the top five, top six. That's in his range of outcomes here. Tremendous prospect. Next one, I'm curious. For some reason, I am not good and I struggle with these Chiefs running backs. Last year, I took Damian Williams at the end of the second round in seasonal leagues. I hated doing it and certainly it didn't pay off for most of the year, but they have Clyde Edwards Hilaire, RB14 made people a lot of money when the question was over under 0.5 running backs drafted in the first round and he gets picked with the last pick there, or Damian Williams at RB31. I'm going Edwards Hilaire, and I'm saying that because when you're drafted in the first round as a running back, it, it means a lot. And I, I say that because uh, this is, again, a study I do, how to value rookies in fantasy football and what their draft stock actually means. Uh, there have been nine running backs over the last uh, six or seven years that have been drafted in the first, run, uh, first round. And those running backs have combined to average 250 touches per season. So... To, to know that, it's like, wow. And then you stop to say, okay, what does Damian Williams do better than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? The answer is absolutely nothing. Uh, they, <laughs> they had Damian Williams on a cheap contract, and and they still do. And I know that he's he's tied up in the contract there, and they have him cheap, so there's no reason that they would move on from him. But I believe he's a, a guy that's going to mix in and kind of play that 8-10 to 10 touch role per game. And that's fine. He could still have that role and maybe offer flex value from time to time. But Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, there is absolutely nothing that he doesn't do well. Um, he reminded me a lot of Ray Rice coming out of college. Um, yeah. Like He's a guy that if you need him to catch 80 passes out of the backfield, he can do that. He's He is shorter, but he is built sturdy and he could take a hit and deliver one too where he's not going to just go down. His, his balance while running the football is fantastic. Um, Again, this is a team that had holes. I know they just won a Super Bowl, but that defense still had some holes. They lost some pieces this offseason. They could have used cornerbacks. They could have used an edge rusher. But instead, they asked Patrick Mahomes who he wanted. So Patrick Mahomes clearly isn't the biggest fan of Damian Williams. So I'm going to go with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire here at RB14. There's legitimate top five upside there. Great point about Mahomes there. Next one I think is a little tricky. DeAndre Swift at RB28 or on Johnson at RB38. My question is... I don't like Carrion Johnson. I haven't been a huge fan, but he's starting to drop. And just what we talked about with Ronald Jones, I'm not sure Swift jumps in to start the year. So maybe there's value with, with Johnson here. What do you think? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm torn on this one as well. Um, you know, but knowing that Swift is going so late, like if Swift was going as like the RB22 or something like that, I would probably be more inclined to say Johnson. But Swift has fallen a little bit. That RB28, that's fine. I think that's a time where you can take some risks on a guy like Ronald Jones, a guy like DeAndre Swift to say, I think their talent is better than the other guy. Uh, carry on Johnson. That's the, that's the reason that this one's tough is because I can't necessarily say that DeAndre Swift is better at everything than carry on Johnson. Cause I think they're very similar running backs. I don't think that either of them are great at anything, but I also don't think that either of them are bad at anything. They're just very well-rounded backs. Um, but carry on Johnson has obviously struggled to stay healthy. So this is probably going to be somewhat of a timeshare. I guess I'll go with Swift because he's the guy that they just, they invested a second round pick in. But, um, but yeah, this one I'm not so sure about. It's very close. And last one here, I've done a 180 on this one. Devin Singletary at RB24 or the rookie Zach Moss at RB45 right now. Uh, I'm going to go Zach Moss here because yep. we've, we've already heard the, co- the the GM talk about that he's going to have the Frank Gore role. Like it, They didn't even waste time talking about it. They just said, no, it's going to it's going to be the same role that Frank Gore had last year. And why does that matter? It matters because of the opportunity that Devin Singletary has. So I went I, I'm doing this article and I, I finished the research on it. So this is like a sneak peek that's kind of, it'll come out later this month. Um, but Devin Singletary last year in terms of his opportunity. So when you get a carry on the the your your own 20 yard line compared to when you get one inside the 20 inside the, uh, the opponent's 10 inside the five. Every single touch you have, depending on where it's on the field, has an expected fantasy outcome. Same thing with targets. Devin Singletary, based on his opportunity last year, was behind Tevin Coleman. He was behind Royce Freeman, uh, Ronald Jones, Adrian Peterson, because he's not getting the valuable touches when they matter most. Uh, He had two carries inside the red zone last year. One was in a complete blowout. And people talk about, you know, towards the end of the year. Well, Frank Gore was kind of run down and he was getting towards the end. Zach Moss reminds me of Kareem Hunt. I'm not saying that he's on the talent level of Kareem Hunt, but that's the type of style that he has. It's that ruthless style. He can get hurt from time to time, but he's going to be the goal line back, and he deserves to be. Devin Singletary has too much wiggle to his game um, where he's doing these jump cuts all over the place. Wasn't a, wasn't a particularly efficient wide receiver. They added Stephon Diggs. Dawson Knox should take a step forward in his second year. Devin Singletary is going to be a fine low-end RB2, high-end RB3, and that's where he's being drafted, right? But the problem is, is that you say, if he's not getting those valuable touches, what's the upside? And I I just don't see it. So with with someone like Moss, the upside is that if Devin Singletary misses time, all of a sudden Zach Moss becomes, you know, a top 12 fantasy running back. And that's something that it's costing you a lot cheaper to get that because, again, it would require an, an injury to Moss for someone like Devin Singletary to get that goal line role, which in turn gives him opportunities to score more fantasy points. The Tagliere family, you're going on vacation. Are you a camping in Yellowstone family or do you like the hot and the sun in the Caribbean? Well, screw camping. Um, <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not for me, man. Uh, I'm 100 degrees in the uh, Caribbean. Uh, yeah, no, camping. I've gone camping twice in my life and I hated it. Well, three times, actually, three times. The first time was when I was like, I don't know, 17 years old. And, you know, you, you get some beverages with friends and you're not supposed to, but you right. deal with things, right? right? And I woke up and I had legit, like, uh, mosquito bites all over my body. Like yep. I was scratching for like two weeks and I hated it. Uh, next time we had friends that legitimately like loved camping and they had all the, the, the neatest technology and stuff that went off the back of their truck and this and that there was a microburst, um, on the campsite. So wow. we packed up and left. That was terrible. And the, and the last time I woke up, my back was killing me. I, like I had, I had a fusion on my back, so I can't sleep on like, like a uh, bad beds anymore. They, they had to be stiffer beds. 
But dude, camping sucks. Um, I would go see Yellowstone for sure because it's like a beautiful place. But uh, the Caribbean, oh dude, on the sand with a drink and a book in my hand. Oh, that's I'm now I'm now I'm sad that I'm here. The Fantasy Pros podcast in my ear. I mean, what, what else could be better than that? I, I agree. Inquiring minds here. Who are you a truther for? Had a wide range of answers to this. Mine is Dee Dee Westbrook. Uh, Ryan McDowell said Randall Cobb. Sean Siegel mentioned Marquis Slade. Bunch of different guys came out here. Evan stayed with Rex Burkhead, of course. Oh, who no. are you a Who are you a truther for here, Mike? Uh, um, I'm going to go with uh, John Ross. John Ross Ooh, good is, one. is, is, good is one. a talented football player. And, um, and no, he's not just a speed guy. And if you go back, like if you have NFL Game Pass, I urge you to go back and watch some Bengals games from last year and see uh, the separation that John Ross gained quite a few times and uh, see Andy Dalton just flat out miss him. Uh, there And now with Joe Burrow there, I'm not convinced that T. Higgins starts over John Ross. I'm really not. Oh, that's a really great one. I want to do a redraft lightning round quick with you here. Just a redraft. I'm going to give you two players. You give me one name. Which one you like better this year, the fantasy season? First one I'll go with is OBJ and Juju Smith-Schuster. OBJ, disappointing year. Juju, of course, disappointing year. But Ben is back, but he is 38. Which one do you like better this season? Oh, it's so close. Um, I'll, I'll go Juju. Next one, Tyler Boyd, Michael Gallup. Gallup is crowded there with C.D. Lamb, but he's in an explosive offense. Tyler Boyd, not athletic, but certainly has a ton of targets the last two years. But of course, there's some additions. You mentioned John Ross. Who do you like better? Tyler Boyd. I've asked it every week. Noah fan, T.J. Hawkinson. T.J. Hawkinson. <laughs> Josh Allen, who I happen to be on this year with big upside, or the consistency of Matt Ryan? Matt Ryan. And D.J. Chark down in Jacksonville with Gardner Minshew or Terry McLaurin? Terry McLaurin. Uh, Mike, this has been tremendous. Just one more question, then we'll get you out of here. I want the Mike Tagliere Fantasy Pros bold take. What's something with all the research you do, all the projections, the great stuff that you you set up here for fantasy football, what's something that's sort of coming across your eyes? You're saying, you know what? This isn't crazy. It could happen. Uh, Joe Burrow finishes a top 10 fantasy quarterback. There's oh. a there's a there's a ton of talent on that team, and this can very well Joe Burrow. It, it's this is that Joe Burrow can be the 2020 version of Jameis Winston. Uh, you have all the re- the recipe for disaster there. You, like you have the the offensive mind play caller, a guy that's willing to take shots. You have a quarterback who's willing to sling the ball around the field, is extremely accurate. Gets AJ Green back, has Tyler Boyd, John Ross. I do like um, T Higgins. Even if he plays, he's a guy that can play. Um, you get the offensive line with Jonah Williams back at left tackle. You have a defense that's miserable. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons why I believe that the Bengals offense. And one of the bold predictions I actually gave on the Fantasy Pros podcast was that. Um, I said that every Bengals skill position player outperforms their ADP. Folks, I mean, action-packed hour here with Mike Tagliere of Fantasy Pros. Have to follow him on Twitter at Mike Tagliere NFL. Fantastic job, accuracy, projections. His knowledge is second to none. Mike, we, we can't thank you enough for so many minutes here, so much time that you gave us. Really appreciate it here. Got the fans set up for some NFL football, which hopefully is going to happen this year and get us ready for the fantasy season. Great stuff, man. Thanks so much. Oh, of course. Appreciate you having me on. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and at Randall Rant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. 
But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.